When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. podcast our first purely softball related episode on the feed in months and it is the kickoff for 2022 softball media days gray robertson and tom canterbury tom this fall has been one of the more unique for us in a lot of variety of ways shout out alabama soccer but we got it done 13 sec head coaches and one bonus yes very excited for the bonus and to get it up to 14 and what a uh, what what a time it's been talking with all these coaches, and it, it's it's so interesting to get that extra that different per- perspective because you know we're the Alabama guys, so we get the Alabama perspective a lot. But just to get that general perspective and to talk to all these coaches uh, about their teams and about just the the state of the sport of softball, it's it's been a lot of fun as always. Very very informative, and uh, as we talk about all the time. No other sport would you be able to get the access and, yeah. and just the transparency that we get in these interviews. Yeah. And at this point, you know, this is year three of this venture and they know us now and we can joke. And, you know, in some cases, I'm not going to say who, but there was one thing that we forgot to mention in the interview and we just real quick hop back on and, and recorded something. And mm-hmm. at this point, you know, the coaches, have grown comfortable with us and we've grown comfortable with them. And the rapport to me is now the most fun part of these conversations. Oh, really is it? Yeah. It's like, it's one of those things. It's where we haven't talked to you in a year. So you got to catch up before the interview even starts. Right. You know, so it's a lot of fun that way too. And um, it's just, it's, it's really, really cool. And then, I mean, not to toot our own horn about it, but the fact that we're able to get every coach in the conference uh, plus one still. right still uh <laughs> it just it, it's um just really the access like i said is just something you're not going to get anywhere else that's another great part how many coaches did we you know finish the interview and then stay on the zoom for five or ten minutes oh and yeah just talk about everything movies which you'll hear about in a minute just <laughs> all kinds of topics yes i i have a new movie list that i have to finish now based on what we've talked about with the recommendations. Yeah, no spoilers. No, right. I think you know what the final question will be. <laughs> this is Softball Media Days on the Out of the Box podcast. Of course, do all of the usual things. Follow the pod at Out of the Box underscore pod on the Twitter or at Out of the Box 2 on Instagram. We have a gram. Subscribe. Leave a review if it's nice. All that fun stuff. Are you ready to reveal the schedule? Yes. Here we go. This first episode, the premiere of Softball Media Days, Georgia, Tennessee, and Auburn. We will dive into those teams in just a moment. On December 2nd, day two, it is Kentucky, Arkansas, South Carolina, and Missouri. December 6th, day three, 
Ole Miss, Florida, Mississippi State, and LSU. And then the final day, December 9th, Alabama, Memphis, our bonus team with head coach Stephanie Van Brakel, Prothro, Texas A&M, and of course, our usual fall ball special with Mailbag. All the fall ball stats, everybody keeps asking. It is my Christmas gift to you. <laughs> I have the stats from Alabama, and we'll, of course, do our way too early top fives because we like to look dumb. <laughs> well, okay, yes. I guess. <laughs> All right, so before we dive into day one, any main takeaways from talking to all these coaches, I would say part of it for me is that we have clarity on what the conference schedule is going to look like when Oklahoma and Texas come. Hmm. I don't know if that was public. I don't know if it's supposed to be public, but pretty much every coach mentioned it. So that's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, And I have thoughts. So, yeah. yeah, So we will discuss that when, after we've heard from everybody, but yeah, I think that that was very interesting. And it's, it's odd because, you know, we're, we're living in the, the time that we are, in collegiate sports where the transfer portal is such a a big deal it's going to be a situation where you have even more so than it used to be a a real new team every year Um, and it was interesting to see who kind of knows what they have team wise and and who it might be you know a little bit into the spring before they really find out uh who who is going to be in the rotation on a regular basis who's going to be in the starting nine who's going to be those big contributors um because everyone everyone has new people even if it's not freshmen yeah and i would also say this is probably the first time where i've really focused more on what the coaches have said when putting together my expectations for the year because usually i have a pretty preconceived notion on what a team will be i listen to the coaches if somebody's really high on a team i'll give them a bump if i I feel a little more uneasy then i i slide them i feel like i moved more teams around than i ever have purely based on the conversations that we had with some of these coaches. I don't know if that's because there are so many new faces on these rosters or, you know, because of what the coaches see. I'm not sure what the reasoning for that is, but that's just kind of how I'm operating after all these talks. Yeah. And and also keep in mind in the fall, everyone likes their team. Right. So, so there's always that as well. That's true. Another thing, the safety-based conversation, that'll come up a lot, but teams are running into major issues trying to make this happen. Like everything else, if you're wondering why your Christmas tree is $300 this year, it's because of supply chain issues and uh, kind of the same thing going on with safety bases, the double base. Hopefully everyone will be able to get it in to at least practice with it a little while before it's implemented in games. Uh, you and I, we've talked about it a lot. There's, I, I think it certainly is is necessary and should be implemented. Uh, hopefully everyone will have the capability. It sounded like uh, from what everyone said, if you have the capability, they're going to use it. Yeah. So. We'll, we'll see. That was my takeaway. All right, let's look at day one. It's Georgia, Tennessee, and Auburn. Before we, you know, really dive into these interviews, a broad look. This is a Georgia team that looks like a contender. They bring a lot of people back. Madison Kerpix was a nice revelation in the circle last year. They've got some quality transfers coming in, a good freshman class. And we're starting off with Tony Baldwin because he gives a very detailed interview about his team. Yeah, and it's uh, that's definitely one of those coaches that, that really likes their team. You can tell that that uh, the coach Baldwin uh, is really looking forward to the season and, and putting his team out there. They're a team that, like you talked about last year, could not really find that overall consistency in the circle because they had the offense to be able to make even a longer run than they did. Yeah, um, because the year before when they made the the World Series is because they had had pitching. 
they kind of lost that uh, into last year. But uh, if that can be uh, shorn up, it's definitely a contending Bulldog squad. Then you've got Tennessee, Ashley Rogers. Mm. One more trip around the sun with the Lady Vols. Can she complete a year? I guess, honestly, is the main question. If she can, Tennessee's probably a contender. If the injuries continue to pile up, this is a team that's going to, you know, you're going to have to take a closer look. And I, I thought Coach Weekly has some really interesting uh, comments as far as that goes. So I'm really looking forward to everybody hearing those. Absolutely. And then Auburn, a team that actually did what Mickey Dean said they would do. They improved the power numbers. Now the question is, can they continue to jump up those SEC standings? Yeah, I think last year, Auburn, especially earlier in the year, it tailed off a little bit at the end because they had injuries pile up. Uh, but I think they were one of, if not the most surprising team in the conference. Um, yeah, if they can continue that upward trajectory uh, and find, again, that they they dealt with injuries in the circle as well, if they can have consistency in the circle to go along with the offense that continues to come up, they're going to be a team that I don't think a lot of people are going to pick toward the top of the league that could end up being there. I agree. So that's day one. We start, though, with the Georgia Bulldogs. And I just want to say this is a big conversation that we have throughout media days. You know, we know where one coach is going to be. That's Patrick Murphy. He's always going to lead off the final day. Beyond that, it's, okay, who's going to be the leadoff for each day? But in particular, who's going to lead off media days? And I think that the reason why we picked Tony Baldwin was because we got a little bit of everything. Some great answers on the softball stuff, some funny personality stuff, some great personnel responses when we were asking about what his team would look like. This is one of the more fun interviews we've ever done. Really, it really was. And uh, as, as we talk about a lot of times in media days, you know, this is one you'll probably want to break up. You can break yes. up, you know, the time. Uh, we appreciate all the play, all the fans from other schools that may only listen to softball media days for their coach. We understand that and appreciate you yes. jumping in. Uh, if you're a Georgia fan listening to this, I think you'll be really excited. Yes, and you'll probably hear us talk positively about Georgia for a good bit this year if mm -hmm. I had to make a guess. But now it is time to kick it all off with the Georgia head coach, Tony Baldwin, our leadoff for day one in 2022 softball media days. Welcome back to Softball Media Days, and it's time to go look at one of our favorite places to visit, Athens, Georgia. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here with the Georgia head softball coach, Tony Baldwin. Coach, so good to see you. How are you? Great. Appreciate you guys having us on and all that you do for college softball. Absolutely, Coach. And we're excited to talk about your team. But before we dive into that, let's talk about the United States of America. Team USA, what a summer it was for you. And it was so great to see you uh, at the World Games when Caleb Rowe and I were at walk-ons and we just ran into the whole staff. That was, there you go. That was a, a fun little coincidence. And Kayla and I were talking after we saw y'all and, and it just seemed like all of you were, were enjoying it so much. There just seemed to be such a joy amongst the coaching staff at that event. What did you learn from that experience that you can take to Georgia going forward? Sure. Yeah. No, uh, you know, you hit it on the head. First off is it's the people, um, you know, uh, Heather, Cindy, Tim, and I hit it off grade in 2019 when we were with the 19 and under U S national team, we won a gold medal with that group. And, and it was one of the most fun summers of my entire coaching career. Not only did I have just a blast with the people, but I learned so much on, how each one of them look at the game and, you know, certainly uh, 
things that I could put into my toolbox as well. Uh, and so to get that group back together again, this time with the big team was, was really special. And, and uh, we picked up right where we left off in terms of the laughs and the camaraderie and uh, all of that part. You know, I think the, the comedy part of the whole thing was that, uh, you know, we had no idea that we were staying in the Olympic Village, so to speak, which was really the dorms at UAB. And so at the last minute, I heard that I was going to be in the dorm and I thought, oh, okay, whatever. I can suck it up for, you know, a week or so. Well, not only was I in the dorm, which I'm certainly not too, you know, big for that, but my roommate in the dorm was Tim Walton. <clears throat> and it was an old school dorm where literally my twin bed was like six feet apart from his twin bed. And, uh, you know, we both said it's been a minute since we've shared a room with somebody other than our wife or kids. Um, so there was a lot of laughs, a lot of snoring going on, um, who could get to sleep first, that kind of thing. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, as far as what I learned is, you know, everybody wants to be coached, you know, and, and you know, you're around some of the best players in the world, uh, some of them at the top of their game. And uh, they want to be coached. They want people that are invested in them. And, uh, you know, what I appreciate about that group was their willingness to try new things, to be open-minded, yet still be highly competitive and, and confident in, in what they're bringing to the table. So it was a great group. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, uh, Birmingham put on a great event and we had a great crowd there for the gold medal game. It was really a neat thing. And so certainly proud, a little disappointed that assistant coaches didn't get gold medals, but otherwise it was a pretty cool thing. Okay. We need to fix that. That's not okay. I don't know. <laughs> we got to get you. They're like, okay, let's get ready for the medal ceremony. And I go like ready to strut up there and they're like, ah, oh, sorry, assistant coaches don't get it. Oh. Like, what? <laughs> Wow. I, I would love to have, to have been a fly on the wall to hear the, the bulldog and the gator talking in, in that. Uh, dorm room. We, we thought about doing it big on social media, you know, putting the line down the middle and the whole thing. But, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is Tim and I are great friends. I have such respect for what he does with their program. I really appreciate the way he's uh, embraced me and he's been a really good resource for me as I've moved into being a head coach of just, um, He's, he's really, really good at uh, the business side of running a program, and, and uh, he's very thoughtful and intentional, and uh, I've, he, he's been a great resource for me, and, and I certainly appreciate his friendship. Gray, when, when you said before we start talking about the Bulldogs, I thought you were going to say, let's talk about the cheesecake at the last, last resort. There you but. go. Hey, you can't go wrong there. I'll tell you that. I tell you what. <clears throat> We, uh, we've been using a, a restaurant here in town called Five Bar, mm. which is just right across the corner from uh, your place, Last Resort. And they do a great job. They have five items on the menu and they're all like dynamite. But they did have a special the other night of uh, this ribeye that was out of this world. So I'm just telling you that wow. moved up on the leaderboard significantly. But make, make a note, Gray, on that for sure. Get the pin now. <laughs> uh, Coach, last year for the Bulldogs, you guys had a really solid year, uh, went to the Durham Regional, 
what was your main takeaways from your first year as the head coach of the Bulldogs? You know, just really proud of the whole organization, uh, proud of our coaches, uh, proud of our support staff. You know, there were a lot of changes that we put into place um, over the course of the year and uh, just proud to be the coach that represents all of those people. That's, you know, the first thing um, that comes to mind. Uh, I thought our team was really resilient last year. Uh, you know, certainly we had some strengths and the offensive side of the ball was one of them. But more than anything, I thought we were really resilient throughout the year and, and that we would, uh, you know, maybe not have our best outing, but be able to move past that and, and you know, have a good outing again. Uh, when I look back to it, you know, really uh, – the season was summed up in just a, a inconsistency in the circle. Um, I thought our defense improved, but still has room to grow. Um, I thought we gained a lot of experience last year in the circle, um, but we're still a little bit inconsistent. Um, but Madison Kerpix really, you know, uh, kind of rose to the occasion and, and uh, kind of showed herself as somebody that could be a, a you know, frontline pitcher in this conference. And uh, we'll look forward to see who uh, the rest of that group is going to step up and, and uh, can be, you know, a little more reliable this year. Well, we'll talk about pitching in just a moment, but coach, you know, once again, you're bringing back most of your offensive production and it starts with Sarah Mosley. And I was just so impressed with her last year, the jump in batting average by 165 points from 21 to 22 is really, really remarkable. What is she doing this offseason to, to try and continue that upward trajectory in 23? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, you know, it's a new year. You know, I think the all of the outside, you know, everybody's got to take another step forward. Everybody's got to go, you know, she could do everything better this year and not get the same outcomes. Um, and so that's the part that uh, we're trying to understand and grow right now is that you know you don't just pick up where you left off and start all over you know there's all of the teams have been you know watching video and figuring out like how do we get Sarah Mosley out this year and so they're going to be more prepared our lineup is going to be a little bit different there's so many different factors that every year is truly its own kind of uh experience and what I want most for her is to enjoy the experience this year if she's enjoying it and she's in a present state of mind, the outcomes will take care of itself. She's too good of a player not to get good outcomes. But when all of a sudden, not only are you competing against the pitcher, but you're competing against all these expectations of what somebody else thinks should happen, then the game just gets really hard and you see it all the time. So what we're working on most is just enjoying being a, a softball player today and Sarah Mosley for what she is today, which is a, you know, a pretty good thing. And obviously easier said than done, but who amongst the returners do you see that could have a possibility of taking a jump uh, from one year to the next, like Mosley did last year? Well, I don't know that it would be a shocker to anybody, uh, but Jada Kearney is a special player. Um, you know, I think she hit in the middle of our own order last year and I was disappointed that she didn't end up being an All-American. I understand that there's a lot of competition for that. And, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't take away from what she did. But 
I think she hit what 350, 360 something maybe with 15 home runs and in the middle of our lineup, which was one of the better lineups in the country. So to me, I felt like that deserved some honor, but um, she's had an unbelievable fall and uh, she's just physically gifted. Um, she's feeling more and more comfortable in her own skin to just go play softball and not be defined by the outcome of the at bat. And, uh, you know, just really proud of the way that she's playing and, and, uh, more so who she's growing into, to be, but, uh, she's somebody that I think, uh, will be, has, has a chance to be pretty special. Uh, Lindy Ray has made a good jump this fall. She was a, our freshman catcher last year and she's just got a knack for driving in runs. And, um, I think she'll be somebody that'll be in the middle of the lineup. Uh, again, Sydney Kuma has played a lot of softball for us and, and has been a pretty darn good player. Uh, so I don't know that we're going out on a limb, you know, talking about Jada or Sydney Kuma. But I tell you, the one who's uh, I'm proud of is Ellie Armistead has had a, a pretty good fall. Uh, her talent is, you know, immense. Uh, you know, as she continues to be more uh kind to herself and give herself a little bit more grace, this game will be a little bit easier for her. And, and you could start to see her do that uh, this fall. And, and she put together some really good outings. So uh, I'm hopeful for her that she can continue to take another step forward uh, this year. Well, coach, you know, I love Ellie because of the FGCL. And I was just sure. so impressed with what she did a couple summers ago that Oh, like you're exactly right. All the pieces seem to be there. It's just about putting them together. And uh, she's, she's so smooth defensively. If the offensive side can come along as well, then sure. uh, you could have a special player on your hands. Yep. You know, and um, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I have all sorts of thoughts, but uh, you know, a lot of people talk about this game as a game of failure. And I just feel like when you start approaching it that way, then it just feels like a lot of failure. And I believe this game is a game of go for it. And if you just have the in the mindset that you're just going to go for it this time, yep, it may work out, it may not, but the joy is in the go for it part of it, then this game becomes easier to have fun. And, uh, you know, she's somebody that holds on dearly to the to negative outcomes. And, you know, we're trying to get her to loosen the reins on that part of it and, and just keep going for the good ones. I mean, if you went to a lot of shortstops, across the country and said, you're going to start every day in the SEC and you're going to hit 10 home runs. Most of them would say that that'd be a pretty good, pretty good thing. And I think she would too, when she just steps back and lets herself enjoy being where she is. Georgia head coach, Tony Baldwin, joining us here for softball media days. Coach, you mentioned earlier, Madison Kerpix and uh, she was really kind of, frankly, a surprise. I'm not quite sure everybody expected to see her throw as many innings as she did, but man, she was really effective as the season went on. She turned into your true ace, as you mentioned earlier, and and now you've had an offseason where she kind of knows that she's going to be in that role. What has she done in the summer, in the fall, to get better prepared for a, a potential workload like that? Yeah, you know, I just super proud of her and and proud of Chelsea, our pitching coach, for helping to bring her along. You know, when you look at our staff last year, you know, Madison Kerpex had three wins in 2021, and she gets 20 or whatever it was in in 2022. And uh, 
Britton Rogers had one win in 2021 and she has 10 wins in 2022. And those end up being our top two pitchers. So we had a total of four wins coming back from the 2021 World Series team. Um, and so to see them kind of grow and, and uh, go through some ups and downs, but come out at the other end, you know, feeling good about things uh, was, was a lot of fun. So, uh, and a lot of the credit goes to Chelsea uh, and her patients uh, of working with them. Um, as far as Madison goes and what she's done, you know, quite frankly, uh, again, the outside world would want us to say, oh, she's worked her tail off and she's grinded every single day and she's embraced the grind. And the truth of the matter is I told her to put the ball down and don't throw a ball over the summer. Um, she threw a lot. She carried a heavy load for us. Um, you know, there are some things physically that she needed a, a little bit of a time to recover. And so this fall has just been building back up to a place where um, she'll be ready to go in February. Again, there's no, you don't win a national championship in the fall, but you can lose one if you aren't mindful of what you're doing. And so this fall was exactly what it was for Maddie. It was just fall practice of building back up from a summer off. So she wasn't in, um, you know, NCAA tournament form this fall, um, but she was growing some things. And, uh, you know, I think physically, mentally, and emotionally, she's in a really good place. And that means that good things can happen this spring. Coach, you did go into the transfer portal and picked up Shelby Walters from Duke to add to that depth in, in the uh, pitching circle. And she had a really good career at Duke, and especially in 2021, had a heck of a season. Uh, what does she bring to to your pitching staff? Yeah, Shelby's been great. Um, you know, it's good to have her come back home. You know, she's in grad school. So, you know, the first thing is there's just a level of maturity that she brings to the table. Um, you know, she handles herself like she's a pro, um, which is pretty, you know, awesome, I think. You know, what's great about Shelby is she's been well coached. Um, she has a good understanding of who she is and what she does well. Um, and uh, I think she's got a chance to be really special and, and a big addition to, to our team this year. You know, as I said, we return a pretty good offense that I feel good about. I think defensively we're better than we were last year. Um, you know, and I think – uh, adding somebody like Shelby to the mix can only make us that much better. But, uh, you know, it took a little bit of time for her to build back up. You know, she was still coming off an injury when she got here. And so, you know, we were patient again, February is still, you know, a little bit away, but the way she's throwing the ball right now is exciting. And, and, uh, we'll look forward to running her out there in February for sure. And she's a part of what is a very big pitching staff for you. I mean, we've talked about Britton Rogers. We've talked about Kerpix. We've talked about Walters. You've got Kylie Macy, Destin Howard, the freshman, Riley Orca, Sydney Asada. That, that's a lot of names. True. How do you manage that many arms, not just, you know, in the season, trying to make sure everybody has a chance, but also in practice? Yeah, you know, we've, uh, you have to get a little creative. I mean, it's more pitchers than what we would, uh, I would say, you know, if you were setting up a roster all together, uh, more than what we would probably prefer, um, but we're thankful for all of them and they all bring something to the table that's a little unique. Um, you know, the one that has really had an outstanding fall and, and made a significant jump is Sydney Oseda. Uh, she's thrown the ball really well this fall and uh, 
you know, I look to see if she can continue on that track. Uh, somebody to, you know, get more innings this year. And then what comes from that, you know, is there's no crystal ball on what the season looks like. But, you know, I think the game has changed. Scouting has changed. Exposure has changed. Uh, I think it puts a greater emphasis on having more pitchers. And, uh, you know, yep, if you have Rachel Garcia, where everybody knows what she does, but still can't hit it, well, then, okay, then you're in the in the fortunate group. But um, nowadays, the more teams have to prepare for, um, the more difficult it is to be prepared for any one particular pitcher. And so that's kind of the approach that we've taken is, you know, they have to get ready for a number of people. Um, and theoretically, they're not going to be as prepared for any of them. Doug, you also went in the transfer portal in your uh, in position players as well. Got Allie Curlin from Penn State and Dallas Goodnight from Alabama, somebody we obviously know a lot about. Uh, what? Uh, how do those two fit into your lineup? Sure, yeah. You know, one of the things that I felt like last year is you just look as like if you're the 10,000-foot view and you're the GM of the program, you know, uh, I felt like we got a little bit one-dimensional. Uh, we hit a lot of home runs, which was great. I mean, uh, we love that. Uh, but, um, you know, I felt like we became a little dependent on the home run. Uh, and so being able to be a little more versatile, create pressure on the opposing team in, in other ways uh, was something that we sought out to do. So Dallas uh, is able to do that, you know, by just – bringing speed, uh, a speed element to the game, her. And then we have a freshman named Jaden Goodwin. We all call her Shorty. Um, those two have been game changers in terms of what our lineup looks like and, and the pressure that they can create. Uh, <clears throat> you know, with the goal that maybe we hit a few more two and three run home runs instead of solo home runs. Um, or we have the ability to score a run to win four to three instead of depending, you know, on a home run and end up getting beat, you know, three to two. So Dallas has brought, uh, you know, a, a, a different level of speed and pressure uh, to the game. Uh, she's fit in really well. And, uh, you know, you can start to see her get a little more comfortable each and every day. And, uh, you know, uh, every, you know, the opportunities are just different for every player and, and uh, Alabama has a great program and a great culture and, you know, and, and there, there wasn't any uh, negatives that came out of her experience there other than she just wanted a new, uh, new fit. And she's from 30 minutes down the road here. And I think all of those things considered have uh, allowed her to, to feel really good about herself right now and and I think that's showing in the way she's playing softball so we're hopeful that you know she'll uh she'll have a good impact on our season Allie Kerner Kerland uh actually was admitted to a really elite um international forensics program I believe it is international um it's in the criminal justice program of some sort um and she was like hey uh I think I'm going to come to school at Georgia and I have a year of eligibility. Would you be interested in me playing softball? 
okay, yeah, who doesn't want a six-foot lefty that hit 16 bombs? So that was maybe the easiest recruiting decision of my career. Um, and so, yeah, so that worked out really well. And she's done great. She's fit in really well, and she's a really neat person. And um, she's she's just simple. Like, she just shows up with a smile on her face, plays some softball, and then goes on and does her thing. So uh, she's been great. And uh, I think she'll be somebody that's in competition for, like, the DP role. She could uh, see some time behind the dish. Uh, she actually has uh, ran down some fly balls pretty well in the outfield. Uh, so you know, we'll figure out how to get her bat into the lineup. But if she keeps swinging it the way she did this fall, you know, there'll be opportunities for her. You got to love when things just sometimes work out. And Allie Curland, <laughs> clearly one of those examples with Georgia as we continue to chat with the head coach, Tony Baldwin. Coach, let's dive into some of more, uh, the, the questions about the sport in general, as we always like to do when we close these interviews. We'll start with the safety base, which is being implemented this year at an experimental level. Um, it, it's interesting to, as we talk to all these coaches to hear about some of the snafus and snags that they've hit trying to get it implemented, uh, whether the timing will be right for the season which is as we record two three months away how do you feel about the safety base rule potentially being used this year and would you like to see it going forward permanently yeah you know to me having done two summers of international ball in which they do use the safety base the impact of the implementation is so small i don't quite understand the pushback from it if it saves a handful of kids from getting you know injured this year then to me it seems worth it um and all of our international games that i played i don't know that it was an issue in a single game in two summers worth of play so I'm for it, you know, again, if it makes the sort the sport a little safer um, without changing the function of the sport or the actual operation of the sport, then I'm not sure uh, there's any reason not to do it. So I, I'm in favor of it. Um, one of the kind of the snafus was the supply chain issues where people just weren't even able to get them. Um, we were able to get a couple uh We'll have them in and we'll practice through the month of January with it. And uh, we'll be ready to go in February. What about replay? Last year was the first year where we saw replay widely implemented throughout the regular season in the NCAA tournament. How do you feel like that went in year one in the SEC? I thought it went great. You know, I think. I'm going to choose my words wisely here, but, uh, you know, I'm. uh I think you have to be a polished arguer, you know, someone like Karen Weekly and Beth Tarina, uh, you know, Karen with her law background. And, uh, you know, I think those kinds of people that are um, very acute question askers probably do better in the replay. You know, I'm just like, were they safer out that, you know, <laughs> well, you didn't ask the right question coach. So, you know, the call stands. I'm like, oh. I didn't know this was a game of semantics. I thought it was just to get the call right. But so that's the, you know, my critique of the whole thing. Is, but I, I still feel like the thing that it showed you the most is how fortunate we are in the SEC uh, with the umpires that we do have and how many times the calls were upheld or correct. 
Um, it gives you a greater confidence that, uh, you know, the people that we have working in our conference are the best of the best. And we're all going to make mistakes. And sure, uh, you know, there are plenty of times where I thought, nah, they got that right. And then I went back and looked afterwards. And I was like, shoot, I should have challenged that. And um, but most of the time when I challenged them, they they were uh, they were upheld. So uh, all in all, I think it's a it's a good thing for our sport. You know, it uh, it increases the integrity of the game. And uh, again, I think it uh, demonstrates that we have some of the best of the best work in, uh, in our games. And coach, as, as the head man, you're now able to make your own schedule. And just wanted to ask about what, you, what your general non-conference scheduling philosophy is. And do you foresee that changing any, considering uh, how strength, strong the conference you play in is? Uh, sure. Do you see that changing any once programs caliber of Oklahoma and Texas come into the fold? Well, uh, the good news is when they come into the fold, I don't believe it's going to add more games to our conference schedule at this point. Um, certainly it's just, you know, continues to increase the quality of the eight weekends that you do play. Um, and so, you know, from a scheduling philosophy, I think that you have to have a balance there is that you have to um, prepare your team for what lies ahead, you know? And so if you don't play quality enough competition, then you're not, there's no way to be prepared um, for the competition that comes ahead. But at the same time, you know, uh, we've got 24 of the toughest games anybody in the country has to play uh, when the schedule starts. And, uh, you know, so I think there's a balance there as well in terms of our players' emotional uh, bank account. You know, uh, the being able to uh, be successful, right, I think helps keep their emotional bank account high. And, uh, you know, when you're 18 to 22, success is success and failure is failure. I don't think, you know, as somebody that's older, we can say that failure against Monica Abbott is not the same as failure against, you know, Tony Baldwin down here, right? But I think sometimes as an 18 to 22-year-old, they don't see it that way. It's failure is failure. And so, there's a part of that where we have to make sure that when we start up conference play, we have as close to emotional full bank account as we can. And so going out there and just going through the grind of playing this killer uh, preseason, I don't know that always helps us. Um, and I don't know that I've seen enough statistical evidence that the teams that play these killer schedules end up as the strongest teams every year at the at the end. As a matter of fact, I know uh, a couple years ago um, in 28, no, in 2021, in 2021, Florida grinded, had a battle and battle and battle to win the SEC. And it came down to the last day. And I think they might've won on a walk-off. And, and uh, by the time they got to the NCAA tournament, they were emotionally spent. And, uh, and our team was far more fresh emotionally at that point, mainly because we had had our butts kicked for so long. We had sort of gotten through that phase. And uh, 
And that's how we ended up making a run. Did we have the better team? It doesn't matter who had the better team. We had the team that was emotionally more full at that super regional than, than they did. And uh, it went in our favor. So I think as you're doing the schedule thing, you have to balance that out. I, that's a long-winded answer. And I don't even know if I answered your question. No, I, I think that's a great answer because, and this is a little sidebar. This will be something I'm sure Tom and I talk about on the pod, but Oklahoma's non-conference schedule in past years has been, you know, quote unquote, light and easy by the metrics. This year it's insanity. So right. we're going to see kind of how that affects them. And, and I think that's an excellent point. Um, there really is no true correct way to do it. It just depends on what's best for your team. It, it would really be too bad if that non-conference schedule just knocks them out of it. I'd hate it. It'd be too bad. It would... Just open the doors for everyone. <laughs> there you go. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, when you, as you talk about Oklahoma, like they're the, they're the new Tiger Woods, right? Um, you know, he just bludgeoned everybody for a number of years and you could either complain about what he was doing or you could elevate your game and get mm-hmm. to a place where you could compete with them. And, and that's what we're all trying to do right now is, elevate our game right they've they've pushed the envelope forward and now it's our job as programs competitive programs is to you know match what they're doing and um certainly i think uh that's certain that's the goal of our program um so this year we're excited we've got stanford coming in for uh one of our preseason tournaments we're opening up with central florida as a super regional team and we've got charlotte who's a really uh uh up and coming program. We've got them coming over. We've got Clemson, we've got Georgia tech. We've got enough competition that we're going to have to get up to play some games. Um, But gosh, as a coach, some of those other ones are the ones that are more stressful because they're the RPI killers that, uh, you know, affect your seating if you don't take care of those games. So they're all important, you know, and at the end of the day, I know it sounds very cliche, but it's you versus you most of the time. If you do what you do and you get beat, hats off to the other team. But the challenge more than anything is just showing up and being the best version of yourself each day. We've got one final question, Coach, before we let you go. And by the way, I would also like to note that's now two straight years. You've gotten a golf metaphor from Tony Baldwin, which I really, really appreciate. Um, (laughs) Coach, we did a fun off-season podcast series called Out of the Box Office where we discussed our favorite movies with guests. We broke them down. We had segments and categories and awards and all that fun stuff. So I want you to put your cinephile hat on. If, If we had you on that podcast, what movie would you pick to discuss? Oh, dude, Top Gun Maverick was as good as uh, my daughter and I went and saw it twice in the movies. We've already purchased it. And now I just fast forward to all my favorite parts. (laughs) That's that's an incredible answer. I'm so excited that you said that. Let's record it tomorrow. Like I, I, (laughs) I have not had more fun at the movies than I did this year with Top Gun Maverick in a very long time. And yeah. I say that going to see Wakanda forever in a couple of days, but Top Gun Maverick was just incredible. It's an excellent choice. Yeah, it was so good. I thought uh, the action scenes were amazing. I thought the dry humor the mixed in there was outstanding. Um, I thought it was well done in that it wasn't super long, but boy, it covered a lot of ground, but it didn't feel like they were fast forwarding. Like I, I just thought it was really well done. 
Tom, you've seen Maverick, right? Or have I you have still it. not seen it? I okay. still haven't oh, seen man. it. I know. I'm I, up I, close I, to double figures by this point. <laughs> I, I I may make it happen this weekend because I've everyone that's seen it has said how wonderful it is, and I I just I haven't got to, but I'm definitely going to make it happen soon. Yep, it's pretty darn good. I love that. <laughs> Tony Baldwin joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, thank you so much for all the laughs and the good information. What what a fantastic conversation this has been. We look forward to uh, seeing you later on this year. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Sorry we won't see you during the regular season, but uh, hopefully we'll see you in Arkansas. Absolutely. Sounds Thanks, good. Coach. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. So that was Tony Baldwin, head coach of the University of Georgia, uh, a Georgia team that I think is a, I don't even think dark horse is the right word, a contender to win the SEC this season. Uh, he was very blunt about the pitching, wanting to see more pitching this year. And I think he sounds really confident in what the offense is going to be this season, which why not? They, again, just bring back everybody. Yeah. And uh, we will talk with uh, Tim Walton later on about the dorm situation yes. from his point of view. I thought that was just hilarious. Great stuff. So much snoring, I'm sure. And I can I can picture it too, because we've dealt with that. Yes. <laughs> we we both snore. Right. Uh, I know you like it that I bring the CPAP. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, thank you so much to Tony Baldwin for hopping on with us. And of course, we will dive on a, a little bit deeper with the Georgia Bulldogs at a later time once we get season five rolling on the other box podcast next up we've got karen weekly she was last year's leadoff speaker and this year we got to chat with her about a variety of things and uh, we will have our conversation about tennessee and karen weekly in just a moment when we come back welcome back it's time to head to rocky top do we have to Mm. yes we do. Karen Weekly, the Tennessee Lady Vols head coach, is joining us. The place where goalposts just stick out of the river. <laughs> Shout out to SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan for his tweet after Alabama Volleyball beat Tennessee mm. a couple of weeks ago yes. as we record. <laughs> that was incredible. At Alabama VB, if you want to, or V-Ball, if you want to go take a look. <laughs> and I highly recommend it. Yes. Um, this is a Tennessee team that, again, we're going to do a much deeper dive later on, but the question remains, and we're going to ask it, Every year, as long as Ashley Rogers is there, can Tennessee get help for her in the circle? Last year, Erin Edmondson did a great job, but she graduated. So mm-hmm. it was all about finding somebody else. And they got Peyton Gottschall, a very good mid-major pitcher out of Bowling Green. Yeah, I, I think a lot of this season is going to be how is there a issue with her making that leap up from mid-major to the SEC? Because if, if she's able to do that and be a one-two punch with Ashley Rogers. Tennessee is going to be right there because they have the offense. Yeah. Kiki Malloy. Really good. Might be SEC player of the year this year. She might be the, you know, I mean, the preseason pick. Yeah. Her and Kayla Kowalik, like Mm -hmm. stack them up. It's tough to, tough to find a better center fielder in college softball than Kiki Malloy. Shall we get to Karen Weekly? Yes, because I always love to hear what Coach Weekly has to say, not just about Tennessee, but about the entire state of softball because she's such a pillar of it. Absolutely. Let's do it. Here's Tennessee head coach Karen Weekly on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to Softball Media Days. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here, and we are so excited to go take a journey up to Rocky Top this season, and to do it right now on this call with the head coach of a Tennessee Lady Vols, Karen Weekly. Coach Weekly, so good to see you again. How are you? 
I'm doing great. It's really good to be back with you guys. Well, it's it's great to have you on. And I think in particular, it's really fun to have you on right now because this is a very interesting time up at Tennessee. You've got the football team, number one in the country. They've got, as we record, a big game with Georgia coming up this weekend. What's the vibe on campus right now with all of that happening? You know, this is the Tennessee that Ralph and I joined 22 years ago. Uh, it's really reminiscent of those days. And we'd coached at Chattanooga for seven years and experienced uh, what it really meant to be a volunteer from 100 miles away and just how crazy this state is when, when the football team is rocking and rolling. And this is kind of back to those days. And, and really, you know, I think what Tennessee uh, has always been, and we've just taken a, too long of a hiatus here, but um, it's just really impressive what Josh Heupel and his staff have done. And I think the coolest thing about them is they're just really, really good people, really good people, obviously excellent coaches, but just to see the way they've built relationships within the department and in the community and around the state has uh, been, been fun to watch. And coach, we've obviously seen it in, in Tuscaloosa at Alabama when the football team does well, it, the, the rising tide rises all boats. And uh, how much does the football team having the success it does uh, help you and your, your team, your recruiting and just being a part of that atmosphere? Well, obviously, you know, when the, when the football program's doing well, the football program is, you know, the face of the university and the front porch of your athletics department. And we all know that and we embrace that. I love it. I mean, I'm a huge football fan. We're at every single game, whether we have recruits or not. Um, we are big, big, big football fans. Um, but, you know, your name is out there. Um, your name is out there so much more um, in so many venues and so many avenues. And, and I think that that's a big thing. And then just the mood of everybody um, is, is just so different. I mean, it, you know, again, 20 years ago, you could feel it, the, the difference when we won or lost. Um, then for a long time, there were a lot of losses and a lot of weeks that there were some, you know, hopeful um, feelings that we might pull off an upset. But, you know, now it's just such a, such an awesome vibe every week. And I think the other thing it does, you know, when um, a sport like football is doing well and, and your, your sports that get a little bit more visibility, it just raises the competitive level throughout the athletic department. Um, a, a lot of us have done consistently well over the years, but I can just feel it with, with my own team. You know, it's like you don't want to be the biggest house on the block. Um, you want that competition within your own department because, you know, as iron forges iron, we forge one another. And I've always felt like we were at our best when everybody in our department was really thriving as well. And we certainly expect to see men's basketball and women's basketball have strong years too. So it's a good time up at Tennessee. And coach, I want to now pivot to your team. Um, last year, a tough finish, stumbling in regionals, um, but overall a really good year for your squad. You know, once you look back at 2022, what are your main takeaways? Well, really, aside from the last weekend, um, we felt like it was a, a very successful season. But I mean, hey, we're in this business um, to finish strong, you know, so uh, really, really sour taste in everybody's mouth that last weekend. Um, you can look back at it. And of course, you know, from a, a logical coaching perspective, you kind of know if you're not going into that weekend 100% um, healthy in the circle. Um, and we had done so many things throughout the year to try and get to the point of being healthy in the circle, um, but just couldn't get there. Um, that, you know, you, you just kind of knew this was going to be a big feat to pull this off. 
um, especially when I saw who uh, popped up in our in our region. Um, we had played Oregon State out in Palm Springs, and it wasn't just that we lost to them. I could see how good they were, um, and the, and they had a, a pitcher who not only was a strong pitcher, but she was the the alpha type of athlete that was going to put a team on her back, uh, and that makes all the difference in the in the world in this game. But you know, when you look at our season, um, you look at some of the things we did early in the year, um, you look at our, our finish in SEC play, and you look at, you know, Ashley Rogers threw 19% of our SEC innings, and we finished third in the conference. Um, I think what, what our team did was phenomenal in so many ways, um, but certainly um, we're, we're never satisfied uh, with ending our season in regionals. Uh, the, the goal in this program is always to be in a position to win championships. And coach, last year was your first year as the solo head coach with Ralph retiring and, and heading up to the radio booth with our friend Brian Rice. And uh, just wanted to know if you, what, what you learned about yourself as the solo head coach and, and what will you uh, use that you learned last year moving forward in the program? Well, I think the, the things I thought would be difficult weren't. And then the things that I probably hadn't really thought about kind of popped up at times. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> hadn't really thought about that one, you know, that that's a little bit harder. Um, and, you know, those just sort of, as the year went on, um, there's just certain times you realize, uh, wow, we used to do this together. And uh, now you are kind of, you know, on your own. And I think a lot of people, as they go through their career, and uh, they progress, and they're in an assistant role, and, and really wanting to be a head coach and thinking about being a head coach. Um, it's uh, very different when you move one seat over. Um, you can do a lot of, you know, armchair quarterbacking when you're in that assistant coach seat. And even for me, uh, as a co-head coach, there were decisions that we would make together, um, or, uh, game time game in game decisions that were his prerogative and others that were mine. Um, uh, but now I was doing it all on my own. Um, and of course I have my staff and I have their input and they're phenomenal people. I couldn't ask for better people to work with, but, uh, uh, it's still different um, and still just takes some getting used to. Um, and really there's no replacement for it other than experience. Before we turn the page to 2023, I wanted to ask about Aaron Edmondson who led your team in innings pitch last year. Uh, we talked at this same time last season about how important she was coming in to take innings away from Ashley Rogers, take some pressure off her. And she ended up kind of being the arm that you relied on for most of conference play, even just one year in your program, how much of an impact did she really make on the team in just her one season? You know, Aaron made an impact in so many ways that people will never know. You see it in the stat sheet, how she filled up the innings. You see it when she took the ball, you know, so many times and um, you know, she, she had to be tired. She had to be sore. Uh, she never said a word about it. I mean, she just wanted to go, go, go for her team. Um, but I don't know that I've ever had an athlete, a player make an impact on me in just one year like she did. Um, she will forever be one of my all-time favorite players. And, you know, uh, our coach is supposed to have favorites. Hey, my favorites are, the, are anybody who's going to come in and work their tail off who is going to give everything they have for their team every single second they're out there, who's going to fight through any adversity, who doesn't care if they fail. They can say, give me the ball again. I mean, if that's who you are, you're going to be on my favorite list. So I'd love for my favorite list to be about, you know, 200 deep. Um, but that's Aaron Edmondson. 
Um, she is just a special, special human being, and she's going to be a success in anything she does in life because, uh, you know, failure doesn't, doesn't bother her. She just says, let's go again. And uh, teams rally around people like that. And our team really rallied around April or around Aaron. Coach, talking about Ashley Rogers, um, you get her back for one more season this year, and we know when she's healthy, she's as good as anybody, not just in the conference, but in the country. What does her health look like right now, and what are you looking for her in 2023? Well, I think what we've learned over four years is um, that healthy to Ashley is different than healthy maybe to somebody else. And really, it's just a matter of, you know, the days may be gone of – expecting a pitcher, um, really any pitcher, to take the ball uh, three, four consecutive days in a row, um, even two consecutive days in a row, and expect them to be able to be at their max and give you those kind of innings, quality innings, over and over and over. So I think it's just redefining what healthy means for Ashley. Uh, last year, we felt like if we rested and kind of caught things before they got too far that we could get to a point in postseason where she could throw a lot of back to back to back, you know, innings and days. And uh, now we know that we just have to manage that differently. And, you know, that was really the focus for our off season was making sure we had a deep enough pitching staff that we didn't feel like we'd be in a bind if Ashley couldn't go day after day after day. So uh, I think we accomplished that goal in the off season. So she's, she's healthy. Um, we've just got to make sure that, you know, we manage her probably more like you do a baseball pitcher. I think it's really amazing what she's done in the SEC tournament the last couple of years. I mean, Tom and I have talked about her now the last two seasons during that event. And she's probably had the best performances collectively over those two years of any player in the conference. I mean, the performance against Mississippi State this year, remarkable. Um, so it, I really do hope uh, for the sake of college softball that we get to see her really shine uh, this entire year. We hope that she can stay healthy because she truly is a special, special player. She is. And I mean, you nailed it. You know, the performance against Arkansas last year, um, throwing essentially two games against Mississippi State. This year, which, you know, when you look back at it, I mean, that might be what set us up for a disaster, <laughs> uh, you know, just the way it worked out. But, uh, you know, and I, and I think we put ourselves in a position where we can create opportunities for her to have those moments um, more often by giving her enough rest in between. And, th and that's the key. Well, you mentioned giving her help. Again, we had the same conversation last year that we're about to have right now. You went and got Peyton Gottschall out of the portal from Bowling Green. And a lot of the hardcore softball fans know about Peyton Gottschall. She's been one of the best mid-major pitchers we've seen the last couple seasons. Uh, but for those who maybe don't know about her, what kind of skill set does she bring to your pitching staff? Well, when Peyton was a freshman, we faced her in a tournament. And we won the game, but she sat down 13 of us, <laughs> you know, and I remember, um, you know, you're watching from the side. Actually, I had scouted her before we played that game and sitting behind home plate. And I thought, OK, this is some pretty good stuff here. We're we're uh, we may struggle. Um, and then we did. And uh, I remember thinking then um, I'd be surprised if she finishes her career at Bowling Green. 
I'll tell you the cool thing about Peyton. Uh, she had every intention of finishing her career at Bowling Green and would have had her coach stayed there. Um, she's a very, very loyal individual. Um, her coach decided in the summer to take another job at another school. And that was the uh, one and only impetus for Peyton to even reevaluate her career path because that's who she was loyal to. Um, so uh, that's the first thing I love about her is just her sense of loyalty. She's just a, a real down to earth, blue collar kind of kid. Um, but yeah, she's, she had special spin and you see that in the strikeout numbers she's been able to rack up during her career. But the other thing that really impressed me is just the innings pitched. Um, Peyton's thrown, you know, well over 200 innings every year, except of course the COVID shortened year when her innings were pretty remarkable for the short season then. So she's durable. Uh, she wants the ball and she's got stuff to go with it. What about the rest of the staff? How are the progressions of Riley White and Nicola Simpson coming along? Yeah, they've both improved a lot and, and really, really worked hard in the offseason. Um, I think for Riley White last year, you know, it was her sophomore year. But when you transfer, especially when you transfer after your freshman year, sometimes it's kind of like a do over. So it was a year for her to kind of get some things, you know, out of her system and just refresh and and, you know, re kind of reset her mental state and get a new start. And now I think this off season, she really understood what she needed to hone in on and work on and probably had, you know, the most productive off season that she's ever had. And that one of our pitchers had, um, Nick is just kind of growing into understanding what her niche is. Um, Nick has some gifts that she may not have capitalized on so much when she was in high school. Um, but we're, uh, kind of trying to get her to, to use some of those natural gifts she has a little bit more. Um, she had uh, some experience with Team Canada, got picked up by them this summer, which I think was just a phenomenal experience for her, gave her a lot of confidence, um, you know, pitching against some of the greatest players in the world. She's actually heading down to the Pan Ams this uh, November here in just a few days to, to join Team Canada again. So, hey, the more experiences she can have like that, the better. Um, and then we brought in two freshmen, Charlie Orsini from Australia. Uh, interesting recruiting process there because Australia was as shut down as any country in the world. And we never got to see Charlie. Uh, we did a couple Zoom calls. We saw video of her. And, you know, for her, too, it was sort of, you know, hey, if you want to take a chance on us, we'll take a chance on you and see what happens. It felt like an arranged marriage in a way. Um, but you know, she has just been an absolute delight. She came over here last summer, uh, pitched for the Birmingham Thunderbolts team that won the PGF National Championship. And, uh, you know, that was her first venture into uh, travel softball here in the United States. And one of their coaches told me, hey, she was our MVP just with not only, you know, what she contributed on the field, but her demeanor in the dugout. One of the most positive, upbeat energetic people you'll ever be around so you know she'll help us in the circle but she'll also just be a, a tremendous teammate in the dugout and then Carlin Pickens um, possibly one of the most talented players that we've ever recruited um, at, at Tennessee or anywhere um, this young lady could have played college volleyball basketball or softball all area MVP out of high school in all three sports which I, I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody uh, accomplishing that feat. And uh, 
she can she can sling it we've clocked her in the mid 70s this fall um and she doesn't just throw hard she really um believes in and is dedicated to changing speeds and moving the ball so i think she's gonna help us quite a bit in the circle that is quite the the scouting report about a person my goodness i'm underlining and starring that's going to be a player i'm really excited to see this year pickens uh wow <laughs> karen weekly joining us a head coach of a tennessee lady balls here on softball media days coach we have been on for about 20 minutes we have not talked about kiki malloy let's change that uh <laughs> One of the best center fielders in the country last year, I said, I thought she was the best all around center fielder offensively and defensively in the nation. And this summer, she got some great experience with Team USA at the Canada Cup and in Japan for that series. What did those events and playing international ball do to help her development as she tries to keep getting better and better? Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I think she is the best. Um, and it, if people knew her personality um, and had any doubts about whether she was the best, once you know her, you'd shoot her straight to the top of your list. Um, she is uber competitive. She is, uh, might be the most competitive person I've ever been around. Um, and yes, the summer was phenomenal for her as well. Um, you know, she, she was a late pickup for them, which, um, you know, the thing about Kiki is, she was mad when she didn't make the team in January, right? So then when she got the opportunity, you knew she was going to make the most of it because um, you just got to give Kiki a chance to prove herself. Um, and she's got a list of things this year that she wants to prove. And, you know, when you, you read about all the greats in any, any sport, um, usually there's, you know, some chips on their shoulder, right? And they just want to keep knocking those things off. But as soon as they knock one off, they create another one. And that's kind of the way Kiki is wired. Um, she's, uh, she's always looking to prove somebody wrong and prove, prove something about herself. Um, she is tremendously gifted. She's a very, very hard worker. Um, she is the, the loudest voice on the field. Um, she, she's the one that just keeps everybody, you know, moving in the right direction, keeping a mission focused. And um, I, I just feel very blessed to be able to coach her. Another player that came on for you in conference play and became one of the uh, biggest power threats in the entire SEC was Zeta Pooney. And uh, what is it about her that where she seemed to play her best against the toughest competition? And then how is her uh, progression coming looking for 2023? Yeah, I think um, Zeta is still just scratching the surface of what she can do. Um, I think Zeta is somebody that just needs to continually be reminded of how great she can be and what she should and could be striving for every single day. I think Zeta has the tools to compete for big honors like SEC player of the year, you know, all American, even national player of the year. Um, she, she just has it all. She's, she's quick at third base. She sees everything on the field. Um, she's tremendously powerful at the plate. She has a great eye. She has the ability to come up with the clutch hit. Um, she's definitely somebody that, you know, we're, we're going to continue to count on even more and more. And it's really all about Zeta getting comfortable with um, wearing that mantle, you know, of being a go-to performer. Coach, I want to make sure we don't miss anybody. So what other returners have we not discussed that look really poised to have a fantastic season this year? You know, I think um, 
Riley West and Boo Gibson um, both had, you know, nice years for us last year. Nothing that really would have jumped off the page to anybody, but people who that I think have that ability to really step, step up and step into who they can be. And uh, we've had those conversations. And again, sometimes it's just, you know, I think our job as coaches is to create a vision for these young ladies that they may not see for themselves and to get them, you know, first you kind of get the wide eyes, like, really, I could be that. And then just getting them comfortable. Yes, that's who I see every day. And that's who I want you to see every day you come out here. And then you start to see a little shift in how they go about their work. Um, when they, they really start buying into what they can be. Um, you know, and softball is such a unique sport because it's a team sport, but really it's an individual sport within a team framework. And every battle on the softball field is a one-on-one -on -one battle, you know, pitcher versus hitter, hitter versus pitcher. I mean, you get a ball hits you, it's, it's you and the ball. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, wanting to achieve All-American. There is absolutely nothing selfish about that. There's nothing you can do in the quest to become an All-American that's going to take away from your team. In fact, if you look at great teams that end up in Oklahoma City vying for championships, they usually are chock full of All-American performances on their roster. And the two go hand in hand. So, you know, a lot of times, yes, you, you want to create that vision for your team of what we can be. But within that, you have to create a vision for individuals of what you can accomplish and getting them to see some things bigger than they thought. Coach, I also want to make sure that we touched on Lara Boutte, who was so good last year. She actually had both Tom and my vote for midseason SEC freshman of the year, and she made a great case to win it at the end of the year, too. Going into year two in your program, how is her development coming along? You know, uh, I think she was well on her way to having that kind of a season last year. And then a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, she moved to the outfield for us when Amanda Ayala got hurt to, you know, fill a gap. And she was phenomenal out there. But on a couple of those amazing diving catches she made, um, she, she had a little injury to her shoulder and she powered through it for the remainder of the season. But I know that affected her. Um, she continued to hit for us and you saw us use her more in the designated player role um, because of it. Um, but again, you know, she gritted it out and did everything she could. And, and I firmly believe, you know, if, if not for that injury, I think she definitely would have made a stronger case for SEC freshman of the year. Um, she's doing really well. She had off-season surgery. It's her non-throwing shoulder. So, you know, that's a, a, a lot better recovery than a throwing shoulder. Um, everything's on track this fall. She had her first, you know, full workout with the team yesterday. Um, she's just a gifted, gifted athlete. Um, Lair has amazing hand-eye coordination. She, you know, just does some things that you can't teach. And she has a knack for coming up big in clutch moments. Um, she's one that just loves uh, the spotlight, you know, loves those big moments and loves to shine in those moments. And, hey, I'll take a gamer any day. Which we saw in that SEC tournament game against Mississippi State, as we already talked about, that, that marathon. It was the freshman who finally put him away. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Lair's just really motivated to have an even more consistent season this year. And one that I think, uh, you know, really will benefit from just understanding what a freshman year feels like and looks like. And um, she knows how good she can be. And now it's just the consistency piece. And coach, between 
transfers and freshmen, you have 14 new players coming in this year. Um, how has it been managing the team chemistry and getting people to jail here in the fall? And then who, uh, freshman-wise, uh, will you look for to be making an immediate impact in the 2023 season? Well, it's actually only 13. 13 was easy. When you said 14, I got a little overwhelmed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, you know, it's been pretty good because, you know, with those three transfers being such veterans, that makes all the difference in the world. So Peyton and Julia Katsoinopoulos and Mackenzie Donahue, they just don't feel like new players. Every one of them has spent Julia two years in Arizona's program and then Mackenzie three in Oklahoma's and Peyton three at Bowling Green. So these are veteran players, veteran uh, college student athletes. So they understand the rigors of, of being a student athlete and just veterans in terms of, you know, what it is to play at the collegiate level. And then, you know, Mackenzie and Julia, uh, a lot of world series experience right there. So they understand what it takes. Um, so I think that's been a huge help because when I look out at our team and look out at, you know, what is a, possibly a projected starting lineup, it's a very veteran group, even though maybe there are some new faces to Tennessee softball. And then we have some freshmen, honestly, who are working as hard or harder than anybody on the team. Um, there are some freshmen who are staying late, coming early every single day. And it's just been really, really cool to see and some some pretty exciting, exciting players in that freshman class. Uh, I apologize, Coach. Math, not always my strong suit. <laughs> no, I, that was a great opportunity right there. So, no, that was perfect. <laughs> uh, we, we majored in talking. That's our business. That's our job. We leave the math to the scoreboard operator and the statisticians. <laughs> Karen Weekly joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, this is where I love when we get to talk to you. We get to dive into some of the minutia of the sport. And I want to start with the safety base. It's being implemented at an experimental usage this year. There, there have been a lot of conversations about, you know, whether teams can get it in on time and, and all that fun red tape that I'm sure you coaches love to deal with. But, but from just the rule perspective, what do you think about what this could do for softball going forward if it is kept around after this year? Well, I kind of think it's a no brainer. It's one of those rules that the international game has had for years. And you kind of wonder why we haven't had it at the same time. Honestly, when I look at most of the collisions at first base, the safety base would not have made that much of a difference because if a throws up the line, a throw is up the line and a first baseman's going to go for that ball. Um, you know, so most of them are occurring because of those types of events. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what we're going to do because we literally just got our base yesterday. It got installed and we're done with fall ball. And, you know, if I feel like we've had enough experience out there on the field working with it in January, then we will probably go ahead and use it. But I really like to be able to use something in the fall before we implemented in the spring and we were not able to get our hands on one all fall they were on back order and so we went all through fall ball without being able to utilize it hmm. there have been a couple teams who've run into that issue and i, I find it very very curious of uh, just how how uh, is that the how how is that the one thing we can't get i don't understand <laughs> <laughs> well 
my understanding from our grounds crew is there were safety bases out there, but the product was not up to par. Uh, the mm -hmm. one they wanted that was really quality, they couldn't get. And they felt like the one they could get would have been less safe than going without a safety base. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's not do that. Let's no. avoid the less safe <laughs> safety <Right>. base. <laughs> Another thing I want to dive into, Coach, is replay. Last year, we saw it used in conference play and in the NCAA tournament. And uh, it was interesting to hear the reaction from all the coaches, especially early in the year compared to later on in the year once we'd had more time to work with it. After one season of the replay and the challenge system, how do you feel about it? I like it. Um, I think that the conference office and the um, officials, coordinator of officials, they're very open to our feedback. One thing that um, I would like is whether it's throughout the season or even just at the end of the season, a running list of all the calls where replay was requested and a video clip of it and then the decision. Because as a coach strategically, I want to know, was a call uh, confirmed or, you know, the, was the decision made because the camera angle wasn't sufficient or, you know, was it because of something they saw? Uh, because then that's going to help me when I go into a venue. If you know at certain stadiums, hey, we just can't get a great angle of blank then that will inform my decision on, do I challenge that call if it comes up? So I'd like some feedback on the reasons that calls were confirmed or overturned. Um, I also would like to see a couple things added to the list. Um, that won't change the time because we still only get two challenges, um, but I'd like to see, you know, out of the box added to the list, leaving early couple of the, those are two that come to mind added to the list of things that we can challenge. I think we adopted our list of challenges from baseball. Well, those are two things that we do completely different than baseball. So um, let's add those to the list and, and, you know, really make it unique to softball. I just saw that uh, the SEC put out a overall um compilation of what's happened so far in football as far as instant replay over the over the season and they kind of keep track of that so I would think they'd be able to do that for softball as well certainly hope that's that's in the offing coming soon uh coach my question I wanted to ask you about um your um your non-schedule non-conference scheduling philosophy uh, you know you always play a really tough non-conference schedule uh, just what is your general philosophy and then do you foresee that changing any in the next couple of years when uh, teams the caliber of Oklahoma and Texas enter the SEC? You know, it's always been to go out and schedule the, the best we can outside of conference. Um, I think it goes back to, gosh, the early years here with Monica Abbott, and we're ranked number one all year, and we get into um, selection Sunday, and I think we get a seven seed, and we're kind of like, what? And the committee says, well, your non-conference schedule. And I thought, well, we're in the toughest conference in America. Um, you really expect us to go play this bear of a non-conference schedule? And the answer was yes. Um, now, I don't know if the philosophy changes based upon different members of the committee, but the message then was nobody can control their conference schedule, but everybody can control their non-conference schedule. So we're not going to look at what conference you're in. 
Now, I may not agree with that, but if that's what the message is, then okay, we're gonna adjust accordingly. Um, last year, we probably, well, we scheduled really tough. I mean, we had the number one strength of schedule all season long. And when you look at what happened to us in terms of, you know, Ashley Rogers being unavailable for, you know, 80% of our SEC games and 75% of our games overall, um, you know, that, that was, that was hard. That was hard on us. Um, I, again, I think our team um, just, you know, met that test with flying colors. Um, but I think it's finding that balance. Uh, I know this year our schedule non-conference probably won't be quite as hard. And sometimes that's just a matter of finding the right matchups in the tournaments that you're entering. Um, and, you know, this year we're flying to three SEC matchups. So trying to balance then your travel in your non-conference. So maybe you're not going to fly quite as much. So there's a lot of things that go into it. I don't see it changing a whole lot when Oklahoma and Texas join the league because as things stand now, we're still going to play the same number of conference games on a rotational basis. Um, I think the, the tricky thing is, you know, now you'll have more SEC opponents that you could potentially choose from to play a non-conference matchup. But mathematically, that's not really a smart thing to do when it comes to your um, – your, your strength of schedule and your RPI numbers at the end of the season. So now, you know, to get some of those good, good matchup games, you're going to have to look, you know, a little bit beyond your region. So again, there's just so many things that factor into it. I just, the first part of what you said, I think it's just insane that the committee gives other conferences credit for playing SEC teams, but, but doesn't really do that with SEC teams playing SEC teams. Uh, I, just we, we've ranted about the committee for years on this podcast and some of the decisions that are made. Uh, I think you're exactly right with, with everything that you just said right there. Karen weekly joining us here for softball media days and coach one last thing, Tom and I do a very fun, very funny, very enjoyable off season podcast series called out of the box office, where we discuss our favorite films with some guests and they get to pick a movie and then we break it down all that fun stuff. So if we had you on for an out-of-the-box office episode, if you got to pick the movie, what film would you select? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, are you limiting it by genre or just any movie? Any movie at all. It, the, the, the world is, uh, is up for grabs. Hmm. Does Tommy Boy count? <laughs> yes. <laughs> If I just want to laugh, right? If I just want to laugh, uh, you, you can't go wrong with David Spade and Chris Farley. Um, now, my girls will just die if they ever listen to this, but Hoosiers. <laughs> Hoosiers yes. is, like, to me, that's the all-time greatest sports movie. Yes. In fact, that's one of the traditions in our program. The freshman class every year in the fall, they come over to my house, make dinner, and watch Hoosiers. Yeah, so every every player that comes with Tennessee softball it gets exposed the, to Hoosiers. The the scene where they go to the to the state championship and they measure the the ten foot it's the same as our our gym back in Hickory. Great. Yeah, so I, I would be down for a Hoosiers podcast. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. And you know, this is a little known fact, but my my passion growing up was actually basketball. I went to college to play basketball and ended up playing both basketball and softball. So. Love basketball. 
It all comes full circle. I love that uh, you mentioned Tommy Boy. Every coach we've talked to has mentioned the comedy, and I get it because y'all have such stressful lives, stressful jobs in season recruiting. It's a lot of pressure, so you need some time to laugh. I I love the answers that we've been getting for this question. Yeah, I I, I really like the dark comedies too, like uh, um, Bernie. That's a good one. And Little Miss Sunshine. That's a classic. Wow. <laughs> quite, quite an array. But yep. we, can, we can do it. We, yeah. th- this sounds fun. I'm putting it all on the rundown for next, <laughs> next summer and next fall. Karen Weekly, thank you so much for joining us here for Softball Media Days. We will see you in a couple months up in Knoxville when Alabama takes on Tennessee. Best of luck this year. Thank you, guys. It's great being with you. Thanks, Coach. So that was Tennessee head coach Karen Weekly last year, a first year head coach after co-head coaching with Ralph for years. I really liked what she said about lessons that she learned managing the team on her own. Yeah, you know, Ralph was always there, but it was up to her to make these decisions. And it sounds like she really learned a lot in that first year. Yeah, because I mean, there's there, there's a lot to it. And it's not just on the field. Actually, most of it is not on the field. Right. Uh, is that when you're making that that transition so it, that was great perspective but at the same time I think my favorite part of the interview was hearing Karen Weekly quote Tommy Boy <laughs> yes telling Ralph that no the jacket does not make him look fat his face does and I just have that that scene in my mind of her saying that to him and it just it it warms my heart so in the lead-in when you were talking about all these philosophical things <laughs> right Karen yes he says it was it was tommy boy that you were referring to it was mostly david spade and chris farley that was really what i meant karen weekly what a delight <laughs> always and and i think it does say a lot about her you know not that we are the bearer of all decisions but there is a reason that we have put her in the first day now two years in a row and i I'm very excited to see what Tennessee can do this year. I will point out Alabama at Tennessee is very early in the conference season. And that could be one of those series that directly impacts who wins the Southeastern conference. Yeah. Alabama's sec schedule with Arkansas and Tennessee very early. Uh, you're going to find out if Alabama's a contender, you're going to find out if Arkansas and Tennessee are contenders. Uh, and we think they, all three of those will be, or at least I do. I assume you do. Yeah. But, I'm with you. Uh, that, you're going to find out a lot about it early mm-hmm. and it's going to be a situation where, you know, you're t- taking a look at the last three or four weeks of the conference schedule and someone's been playing catch up because yeah. of that early conference schedule. Yeah. And could there be a spoiler in the midst as well? Because mm-hmm. also playing Alabama this year, oh, the transition Auburn mm-hmm. in Tuscaloosa. How about that? For the first time since my first year with you in the booth, Tom. And, and boy, was that fun. Oh, man. The uh. 29 combined walks and strikeouts from Alexis Osorio. That was iconic stuff. Of course, <laughs> as you said, Tom, this is all our transition to talking about Auburn. We will discuss the Tigers and their head coach, Mickey Dean, in just a moment when we come back. Hey! Welcome back to Auburn We Go. Auburn, a as you said earlier, a nice surprise in the SEC. You had them last. I did. In your preseason poll, I think I had them 12. Mm. So neither of us were very high. <laughs> but Mickey Dean was saying, we're going to improve the power numbers, and we've got Maddie Pinta to where we think she can pitch a lot of innings you know, well for us. And both of those were true. I think now the question for Auburn is, 
Is Shelby Logan to be healthy to complement Penta? And can this offense be a little bit more well-rounded? We know the power is going to be there, but can they hit for average too? Right, yeah. And I mean, it's one thing to say we're going to improve the power numbers, but to actually show it and do it, uh, very impressive. And But yeah, it, you can't just mash your way. You have to be able to be balanced offensively. Uh, and that's what they're going to be looking for because like we said, like I said earlier, we saw things tail off toward the end because they, they suffered some injuries. Will they, would they be able to withstand those injuries if they had a more balanced offense and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Shall we get to Mickey Dean? Because we always learn, we learn something from Mickey Dean. I've got like six pillows of Mickey Dean quotes (laughs) in my room over there. Just ready to go. Just at the ready. This man deals out sayings and life mottos like nobody's business. So get out your philosophical thinking cap and take notes because it's time for our conversation with the Auburn head coach, Mickey Dean, right now here on day one of Softball Media Days. It's time to continue rolling along with Softball Media Days. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury pleased to be heading down to the plains to chat with the Auburn head softball coach, Mickey Dean. Coach Dean, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you? War Eagle, I'm doing great. How are y'all doing? We're fantastic. We are just counting down the days at this point to softball season. We're under 100 now, uh, and it just feels like this season is going to be a ton of fun in the conference. And before we dive into what this year looks like for your team, I want to look back at last year. A big jump in overall record. You were four games better in the SEC season, even though you were dealing with a lot of injuries pretty much from the start of conference play all the way to the end of the year. What are your main takeaways when you look back at the 2022 season? Uh, we need to stay healthy. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we were right in the thick of things there. And um, we, yeah, we just need to stay healthy. And uh, we need to uh, have, our, have our players pay attention to their bodies and uh, so that we're able to give them breaks when they need them. And, uh, and, I, and I think we'll be fine. Coach, last year when we were talking to you, you were talking about how the offseason program you were focused a lot on the players getting stronger improving the power numbers and that's certainly something that we saw uh, manifest itself in the regular season uh what is has there been a similar focus this year or has there been something else you guys have been looking at uh kind of the same except uh you know for us the offseason for us was really about getting those players who had nagging injuries getting them healthy so, you know, a couple of our players only played a couple of fall games this fall. Uh, some didn't play any. Uh, just to give their bodies a, a chance to, to build back up and, and, and to get healthy. And uh, that was really, uh, other than that, and working on, you know, our team chemistry and bringing everyone together and working on those things, that was really our big focus this fall. When you're trying to accomplish all of those things, you know, helping the offense, building the team chemistry, does it make it a lot easier when you've got so many returners? Because, you know, I'm looking at the stat sheet. I do the highlighter for every team. There's a lot of yellow on on your list with so many people back from last year's squad. Yeah. um, You know, we had uh, one player graduate and we we brought in, uh, I think it was four or five freshmen and two transfers. but returned everyone else. And for them, I think, you know, the the expectations and, and for our staff, the expectations are high. Uh, 
with with having that large amount of players return uh, to the roster, and and many of them saw considerable amount of playing time. Um, if you if you want to look at the the flip side of having injuries, uh, the the good thing is is that many players young got a lot of playing time, got a lot of experience, not just in non-conference games, but uh, in the SEC as well. One of those returning players that unfortunately you did lose uh, to injury last year, and she was having a tremendous year before the injury, was Denver Bryant, and just wanted to see uh, how her uh, rehab is coming and how things are progressing as far as that goes. And um, what did you see from her in 2022 that you're hoping that she's going to be able to duplicate in 2023? You know, we knock on wood. Things are going really well for her as, as far as her rehab and being ready uh, in January. So that's that's exciting for her. It's exciting for us. Uh, what I saw out of her last year, because uh, she came in her freshman year and, and had an injury that was nagging. And, you know, eventually we're able to take care of those things. But what I saw was her just gaining a great deal of confidence and really learning, again, how to, how to, how to really enjoy the game. I think that's one of the hardest things when you have an injury is it's 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 not always the physical part that that gets you it's the mental part it's the mental part of being there every day not being able to to play and uh, I thought Denver did a really nice job of staying in the game after her injury and tried to really be a leader and a vocal person in our dugout during games and in practice. And uh, I, I thought she did a tremendous job there as well. Yeah, Coach, you bring up the mental side. And we'll talk about pitching in just a moment. But I was reading the the D1 fall report that Ree Potkey wrote about you. And I thought it interesting that she dedicated a section to the mental health aspect, something that you said you're really trying to work with the players on this offseason. How important is that aspect, you know, at, at this day and age in college sports? I know last year we had a great talk with you about social media, but how important was it to really make that a focus this offseason? Uh, it, it's, it's been huge for us. Um, for so many years, you coach and you don't, you don't really think about that side of it. And, and then you, you, you start listening to elite athletes and what they talk about. And, and they have their own mental coach. They have a coach on their staff that that's what they're dedicated to. And I was like, man, you know, we need to get not just with our, who we have on campus, but we really need to get involved in this as a staff. And so um, we've been doing a program all fall um, and we do it 30 minutes a day, every single day. And it's really nothing. It's all about the mental game and all about just, uh, and it doesn't necessarily always have to do with softball. It, it's, it's everything. And uh, I think our players have really enjoyed it. They've really been engaged. And um, and it's been it's been uh, it's been eye opening, eye opening, and and we've seen a lot of players really benefit from it. How can how can that help somebody like uh, Bree Ellis, who won the the freshman of the year last year in the conference, to come out in twenty twenty three and you know maybe not be thinking about well I got it I won the freshman of the year so I have to be something 
more than what I am maybe even in 2023. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of our discussions are about the controllables and uncontrollables and, and, and being present, being where your feet are. There's nothing Bree can do about last year. Uh, it's over. Uh, you know, there's nothing she can do about this upcoming season. But there are things she can do each and every day uh, to work on her. And the same with all of our players and the same with our team. And, and that's a key for us is, is, is being present and being where your feet are and really working on the controllables. And, and, you know, the program we're going through approaches that in many different ways. You know, the controllables, the uncontrollables, uh, the red light, yellow light, green light, just uh, really living in the present and focusing on a couple of things. One is preparation. And that preparation begins right before you go to bed. It starts right when you wake up and it, you're just preparing for the day. And, you know, we do meditation. Uh, so there are a lot of things we've added that uh, that I think are really going to benefit, benefit our program, but not just our program. It's going to benefit our people, <laughs> mm. you know, the individual. And if each individual is being benefited, then the entire team is uh, getting, getting a benefit from that. I love that. I love that. Wise words from Auburn head coach Mickey Dean. Coach, let's talk about pitching. Maddie Penta really took it to another level last year, and in part she was kind of forced to because of some of the injuries that you had with the pitching staff, but she stepped it up. She backed it up when she was given more innings. How has she progressed this offseason ahead of another year with you? You know, our bullpens, I like our bullpens because she really likes to, to talk about the game itself. And um uh, and it's always it's always fun in, in, in her bullpens to, to 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 just talk about it. You know, Maddie has always been a very hard thrower. She's uh she's had that mentality, that bulldog mentality of just go. And now we're starting to see Maddie Penta take that attitude, but add some really nice pieces to it, uh, which I call pitching, you know. Uh, you're talking about a kid that's that's hit 74, and for a long period last year, her best pitch was her changeup, and and that's amazing. You know, mm -hmm. um, she's really done a really nice job on her rise ball, a really nice job on her curveball, um, and she's starting to figure the drop out. I was just say last year, one of the reasons we saw so much Maddie Pinto is because Shelby Lowe wasn't at 100. percent You could tell that throughout the year. How is she coming along health-wise, and what are you looking for for her to be able to add depth behind Maddie Penta in your pitching staff this year? Her progress has been going very well, very well. We're very excited, very excited. She started throwing, um, and she's doing that uh, pain-free, which is very nice. Um, and, again, it goes back to uh, the mental side of it and just being able to be – free with your mind when you're out there in a the circle and you're doing your workouts um that plays a big big part and uh you know and i think our staff is relieved you know we've got a freshman coming in who is you know you're gonna you're gonna hear about her we had two transfers in the circle and i think just having that staff and having it healthy is mentally just going to be a big relief and i can see our staff really blossoming throughout the season 
Yeah, Coach, you mentioned the transfers coming in. Uh, you've got Isis Trezvic. I promise, if I'm not saying that right, I'll have it correct by the regular you did season. Pretty good there. Thank you. Uh, KK <laughs> McCrary from Tennessee and Annabelle Weidra, who we saw uh, get a lot of good playing time at Michigan last year. What was it about those players that drew you to them when you saw them hit the portal? Well, uh, you know, with with KK, uh, it was it was really talking to her travel ball coaches, to be quite honest. And, you know, KK came to school here last year and the timing was such and that I didn't feel comfortable just throwing her on, on the roster. And I wanted to see how much she really wanted to play as well. And, you know, so she spent the year here in school and, uh, and then she came ready to roll. Uh, she had a really nice fall. She can swing it. Um, and, you know, she's a kid that, has pretty much been an infielder and we're able to find her being pretty versatile and being able to put her in the outfield. And she caught on really quick because she's athletic. Um, so, so we're excited about that. It's always nice to have a versatile player because uh, you don't, you don't feel like as a coach or as a player that you're kind of stuck. And, and so you're able to, to move people around and they're able to move around. So that's going to be beneficial to us. Uh, ISIS. You know, I uh, she was she was down here last spring and threw against us. Um, I knew nothing about her. Uh, she comes up. She's throwing 71, 72 in the circle. She comes up in the, her first or second at bat and hits one over the flagpole. Um, so when I saw her name pop up in the portal, I was like, okay, we need some depth in the circle. This kid can hit uh, tremendous speed. I said she can, she could, uh, she'd be a nice piece of the puzzle to add. And so, so when she went to the portal, we contacted her, and um, she decided to come to Auburn. And um, you know, there's always an adjustment period, and 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 she's been working on that. And we look, we look really forward to seeing her in the spring. And then, of course, Annabelle, you know, Annabelle committed really early in her recruiting cycle. Uh, but I'd always I've always followed the, the, the Bolts program. That was her travel ball team. So I knew a great deal about her. I'd watched her pitch. I'd watched her play short and second and hit and uh, always liked her as a player. And then the next thing you know, her name popped up in the transfer portal. We gave her a call, got her here on campus. And as she, you know, I, I told her at the end of the day that uh, she and I were going to be doing a fist bump and she was going to she was going to be an Auburn Tiger uh, because she was doing her due diligence in, in her in her search. Uh, but guess what? By the end of the day, we did that fist bump and she became an Auburn Tiger. <laughs> so, uh, and she swung it for us really well in the fall. She really did. Uh, we kind of wore her out a little bit, too, you know, because we want to see how she's going to be able to handle playing a position, pitching, all those things. And so we put her in different situations every weekend, uh, trying to see what works best. You know, started her pitching, moved her to short, started her short, moved her to pitching, DP or have her pitch. We, we tried some different things with her, and, uh, and she handled it pretty well, handled it pretty well. Say so going into the transfer portal and getting a couple of pitchers that are also – you know, position players able to hit 
Is that something that you were actively trying to do or is that just something that kind of worked out? No, that's what we were trying to do. Um, you know, it's always nice to have pitchers that can hit and play another position because it just, it allows you to make so many moves. Um, and, and um, you know, most of my staffs in the past have been pitchers who batted in the lineup or played another position and the way you can maneuver and manipulate the lineup, uh, it can become very beneficial. And so uh, that was intentional. Yeah, Megan Good was very good at that up at JMU for what <laughs> felt like 10 years. She was there for a very long time uh, as yeah. we continued to chat with Auburn head coach Mickey Dean. Coach, you mentioned bringing in the freshmen. Who should we be on the lookout for this year? I know you mentioned uh, some young arms and some players who could get some action this season. Well, you know, uh, pitching-wise, you got Emma Rolfe. I mean, Emma's just a strong kid, strong kid, and she's learning how to pitch. She's figuring it out. Um, she's really excited about getting her change-up working, which we've we've got working now. She's a, she's a lot more consistent. Um, and, you know, she works hard. She works hard. And that's that's the biggest thing is, you know, especially for, for an underclassman, a freshman pitcher is, is what's their work ethic like? Because they can have a great deal of talent, but if they don't have the work ethic, it's difficult to have an impact early in your career in the SEC. Uh, you really have to have that work ethic and that 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 go get them mentality, and and she has that. So, um, you, I think you're going to see some really nice things and some bright things out of Emma. I really do. Other freshmen, I'm trying to look through. I want to make sure I don't don't forget anybody. Um, let's see here. You have uh, Alexis Milanowski, who that's one of the most versatile kids I've ever coached. I think she uh, she can play a lot of different positions and she swings it well. She really does. Uh, and she was a pitcher, and and for her high school team, so she's very versatile and. Uh, works extremely hard um, you know those kids that work really hard they, they kind of grab your eye and uh and she worked she worked really hard uh she's a really good leader as well um you know she doesn't say a whole lot because you know she's a freshman she hasn't gotten there yet uh, but when she does you know she she uses good words and she uses deep thought about what she's going to speak about and so she does a really nice job there. Uh, Millie Roberts. Um, Millie, you know, she has really surprised me with her. She has a, a lot of power, a lot of power. But, you know, it's one thing to hit certain types of pitching. The thing is, is how is she going to handle this level of pitching? And she is really going to, taking it to task and going to work. Uh, and she really hit well this fall. She swung the bat extremely well. Uh, and she's, a, you know, she's another kid that uh, she can play a couple of different positions. Right now she's working at third, but she can also catch. Uh, right now we're pretty deep in the catching uh, position, which is good. Um, but she's a kid that, can, that could play another position. Uh, and with her, with her at bat, you you want to try and give her give her that opportunity. So uh you got Skylar Elkins. 
you know, and, and for a long time, and I don't know what the final rankings, I, that stuff's hard for me to pay attention to because it's, I don't, I watch it, but I'm not sure how clear it is, but, you know, she was, she was ranked as the top catcher coming out of that class. Let me tell you, I can see why. Uh, she's she's good behind the plate. She really is. So you know we got we got four catchers that. Uh, it's amazing what competition will do. It really is to watch our four catchers, and how good they are right now, because of the competition. But our four catchers, uh, all four of them, really had good faults. Handled our pitchers extremely well. Uh, handled the running game extremely well. Handled the short game extremely well. Um, so we're really excited there because all four of them can swing the bat pretty good. And, um, you know, the hard part about catching, you want to make sure you have two or three because by the end of the season, their legs are wore out. Mm -hmm. And so when their legs get tired, that affects their hitting. And, and to have that many catchers and to be able to keep them fresh uh, only bodes well for the, for the offense. So, so we're excited about that. We're, we're, uh, She's she's done a really nice job. She has some really bombs. She hit some bombs this fall as well, which is nice. Coach, I was just about to, as I was say, Coach, you you can never have enough catchers. We we've certainly seen that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, before no. we dive into some of the more philosophical questions about the state of the sport, I, I want to ask a question about Auburn because. A couple of weeks ago, I think, I don't know, time all runs together. You got a new athletic director in John Cohen coming from Mississippi State. He's got a baseball background. He's somebody that I've known for a couple of years now, and he and Nell are two of my favorite people. Have you had a chance to to talk with him at all since he got to the Plains? Not in detail. You know, uh, we've had a chance to chat a little bit here and there and on the phone. Uh, he's rather busy right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, there are no secrets. But uh you know, I have some some guys that I played baseball with that know him. And when he was hired, I was getting text messages from them saying, hey, you got a great guy there. So I've heard nothing but good things. I really, uh, everything I've heard has has been good. And, uh, you know, I, I look I look forward to working with him. Um, it's 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 kind of cool for me that he's a he's a. He's a baseball guy, um, and, you know, he's been successful. He was successful as a player. He was successful as a coach, successful as an AD, and I, I, I think that's important, you know. Uh, and uh, But I, I, I think we have a bright future here. As you say, Coach, I know uh, the hope at Auburn would be that he's able to bring stability uh, throughout the entire athletic department. Uh, how important is that in a sport like softball for the rest of the athletic department uh, to be as successful and stable as possible? Well, I mean, you know, uh, stability helps in all aspects, um, whether it's softball or whatever it is. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I look for, I look for John to be that, that stable person. I look for him and Hope that he's uh, he's here for a long time, and uh, but you know stability is always important uh, in 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 anything, whether it's business, whether it's sports, uh, whether it's social life or whatever it is. So it, it, it's 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 nice, and uh, you know he already made some moves of 
of putting people who have been here for a long time and, and putting them in position to to really assist him and have a really, I guess, you know, what do they call it? On the ground knowledge mm -hmm. uh, of, of, of Auburn. And I think that's only going to benefit him as well. Coach, let's talk about some of the rules things, as we always like to do. We'll start with the safety-based conversation being implemented this year at an experimental level. Um, we've we've kind of heard a, a wide array of responses from the coaches about issues getting the bases in um, to, to certain situations surrounding it uh, heading into this year. How do you feel about the use of the safety base this season and potentially permanently going forward? Uh, I've always been a proponent of the safety base. Uh, for us, you know, I don't know if we'll get into the discussion or not, but, you know, our field is basically being revamped. Uh, so we didn't get to practice on our field or play on our field. So our players didn't really experiment um, this fall with the safety base, uh, simply because we didn't have a field to experiment with. But I've always been a proponent of the safety base. I just think you know, that that play, as quick as our game is, I've seen too many too many players, whether it's their ankles or their uh, knees, the uh, first baseman reaching, too many too many bang-bang collisions there at first base that are unnecessary. So I look forward to when it's implemented. Uh, and, and uh, you know, like I said, we didn't use it this fall, but I think sometimes you just use common sense and it just seems to make common sense. Common sense. We've always pulled for that on this podcast <laughs> and in this sport. <laughs> I also wanted to ask about replay. We saw it used in the regular season for the first time last year. I think early on kind of a mixed bag, but people seem to get more comfortable with it as the season went along. Where do you feel like that stands going into year two? Did you like how it was used in year one and what changes would you possibly make? Well, I think we learned our lessons with, with um, instant replay, you know, throughout the season. Uh, I, I think it's always good when when you have it, it's new, it's not going to be perfect. Sometimes you're going to have it and you're still going to make the wrong decision. But I'm glad we implemented it and because we're only going to get better with it. It's going to, you know, it's going to grow, it's going to get better. So uh, I don't want to see it used on every single play, <laughs> like in some sports. <laughs> um, but um, I don't think it slows the game down any. I think it makes the game right. And uh, as long as it's used in the right way, I think it's a great thing for our game and our sport. Uh, but like I said, I don't want to see it where it's being used on almost every single play. I like the limitations that we've set on it. Hmm. And I think the, the reviews are only going to get better. The understanding is only going to get better. Uh, so uh, I, I'm a big proponent of it. I want to ask you about uh, your non-conference scheduling philosophy. Um, obviously, this year it's you got definitely some big challenges going to Clearwater, going to Oklahoma City, including playing Oklahoma twice. I uh, just wanted to get what is your general philosophy on non-conference scheduling, considering how tough the SEC is on a year in and year out basis, and do you foresee that changing any when? programs the caliber of Oklahoma and Texas coming to league here? Um, I think you take it year to year. You have to take a look at your, 
your conference schedule. You have to take a look at the tournaments you're going to, and that kind of is going to determine your midweeks. Uh, I think we have a very good competitive schedule uh, for, for our team. Uh, we have a lot of returners, uh, but a lot of those returners are still sophomores. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I wanted a little bit more of a challenge. I thought we had a good challenge in the early season last year. Uh, I think we'd stayed healthy uh, throughout the season. It would have been an interesting thing to watch. Um, and again, this year, you know, our, our preseason schedule is going to be pretty challenging. It, uh, and I really think what is going to help us, I hope, is, you know, we had to do everything on the road this fall. And, and we're kind of not used to that. We're used to playing everything at home during the fall so that we can travel more in the spring. But I really think playing on the road is going to help our, our club playing on the road. You know, if you take a look at our our home record versus our away record over the last two or three years, um, we haven't performed as well as we should or could on the road. So playing on the fall, I think I think will 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 really benefit us. But back to the scheduling. You know, you have to take a look at your conference schedule, um, and then you 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 maneuver from there. And, you know, we try to look at our schedule two years out and uh, think about who we're playing in conference on the road and so forth and so on. And um, you want to make sure that your kids are not missing too much class. Uh, you want to make sure that uh, you're not traveling too far in midweeks. Or if you are traveling, that you're able to do it in a way that doesn't wear your kids out. Um, there's a lot of things that go into it. <laughs> so you can sit and talk about you know, schedules all day long, but they're really, they're, they're, they're year to year. Um, and um, we think we put together a very, very good schedule for this team this year. Coach, you mentioned a couple of times, what, uh, what renovations, what's going on with, with the field? A lot, <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Uh, basically inside the fence, everything is new. Uh, wow, and then the fencing will be new as well. So we redid our entire field: outfield, infield, dugouts, uh, fencing. Um, you know, we uh, we're putting turf all the way around for the warning track and in behind home plate. Um, put in a brand new infield, uh, and then we're doing some things for our fans to make the viewing a little bit better. Uh, we're lowering our side fences uh, down to four feet. We're taking out many gates because uh, just just revamping everything from the fence in. It's it's all brand new. It's, it's pretty exciting, and it's kind of neat because you know we still use our indoors, so not everything is off site. So it's kind of neat for our kids to watch the process as it happens. Coach, we've got a couple more things before we finish this thing off. First, I was just thinking about this. You mentioned all these road conference series. This is your sixth season at Auburn, and this will be your first time coming to Tuscaloosa with the Tigers to play Alabama. Now, you know, Tom and I have been while you've been on the Plains uh, to Auburn for two of those series, but because of COVID and just the nature of the schedule, you haven't had a chance to come with this program to Tuscaloosa. Are you excited to experience that aspect of the rivalry as well? 
Oh yeah, I, you know, we haven't been to Tuscaloosa. We haven't been to South Carolina. We haven't been to Georgia, Athens. So, you know, uh, since I've been here. Um, so that, that's going to be kind of neat. And then it's going to be kind of neat to have LSU and Missouri and uh, who was the other one? It was one more Mississippi State come here because they haven't been here since I've been here. So uh, uh, a lot of a lot of new things this season, but they can make it uh, make it make it very exciting. Make it very exciting. So uh, so yeah, we, you know we're looking forward to uh, playing anywhere, anywhere there's a softball field. As long as we can get on it, it's not raining. Uh, we're, we're, we'll be happy. Co-sign on the no rain thing. Let's avoid yes. all weather delays this year if we can. Last thing, go. Coach, uh, before we let you go, um, Tom and I did a very fun off-season podcast series called Out of the Box Office. We brought in past guests, you know, Caleb Bro, Emily Petek, uh, Sam Fisher, a lot of our friends to discuss okay. their favorite movies. So if we were to have oh. you on, what movie would you pick to discuss on the show? Wow. I, I like the new Top Gun movie. <laughs> I really do, only because of the way it, it, it transferred from the first one to the second one, because sometimes they really mess those things up. But I thought the storyline was awesome, the way they transitioned from the old Top Gun to the new Top Gun. Now, does that surprise you? No, I'm laughing because that's the uh, second interview we've done today where Top Gun Maverick has been the answer. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Wow. But yeah, we, we, we could have the SEC coaches roundtable on Top Gun Maverick at this point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Mickey Dean, the Auburn head coach, joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, always a pleasure. I, I always feel like I learn something from you every time we chat, and we're looking forward to seeing you this year in Tuscaloosa. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. War Eagle. Thank you, Coach. <laughs> so that was Mickey Dean dropping truth kernels, mm. doing what he has to do. And, you know, again, it sounds like he's high on his team. It sounds like Shelby Lowe is going to be back closer to where she was a couple years ago. But I'm glad that, you know, you brought up Denver Bryant because it was that injury in particular that seemed to kind of derail things a little bit for them offensively. Right. If she's back to what she can be, this offense becomes really potent once again. 100%, yeah. It, it seems as though uh, the offense could really be built around her if she's back 100% healthy, which it sounds like she will be by the time the season rolls around. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, to seeing them. I'm looking forward to, for Auburn to come to Tuscaloosa. And, you know, at rivalry aside, teams should be coming to Tuscaloosa more often in conference, which again, we will talk about. Oh, yes. I, you know, I'm going to write my own question for the mailbag just to tee you up for that. <laughs> Thank you very much. For. That's a tease that. for mm -hmm. 10 yes. days away, people. <laughs> of course, they're supposed to come in 2020 when the season got canceled. But I, I just, especially if they're as good as we think they could possibly be, uh, it's going to be quite the scene in Tuscaloosa over that weekend. Yeah, that last series was so fun, too. You had yeah. the 10-inning game one. Game two, I think, was 3-2, 2-1. Game three was 3-2 Alabama to avoid the sweep. It was a really just, like, high-quality, intense, and frankly, very long weekend the last time Auburn was in Tuscaloosa. So we'll see what happens right. this year. Again, when, when everything is either a walk or a strikeout, the game <laughs> seemed to go a long time. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was that. And, you know, Alabama has been to Auburn a couple of times since then, yeah. including 
2021 with the longest home run in the history of softball that Bailey Hemphill hit. Uh, so there, it, there's a lot of history there. And uh, really looking forward to the Iron Bowl of softball coming to Tuscaloosa. Yes, officially IBOSB yeah. trademark TM. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so that was Mickey Dean. And that's it for day one. When we come back, we'll wrap it up. We'll get you ready for day two. It's coming on Friday, December 2nd. That's on the other side here on the Out of the Box podcast. All right, closing time is playing. Let's conclude and wrap up this bad boy. Day one of Softball Media Days. What a conversation. We had Tony Baldwin from Georgia, Karen Weekly from Tennessee, Mickey Dean from Auburn. Three teams that I think are all on an upward trajectory going into this year. You know, I think if I had to pick one that might not be soaring as high, it would maybe be Tennessee just because I already feel pretty good about their level. But I think Georgia is going to be very strong next year. I think Auburn is going to be a problem and might not win the conference, but we'll certainly decide who does. And I think Tennessee's got one of the best arms in the, in the conference. These are three squads that are going to make noise. I think that there's definitely a scenario where I see all three of these teams hosting regionals mm. and maybe one or two of them hosting supers. Mm. Ooh. Mm. Wow. We'll see. It is late November, Tom. <laughs> You sound like me. Right. What yes. are you doing? <laughs> I was told all 14 could host both regionals and super regionals. Is that, that incorrect? That You know what? Like we should trust social media. Please. <laughs> Have we not done this podcast long enough? I would play the off the wall drop mm. here, but I'm sure this episode is already gone for way too long. Thank you to Karen Weekly, Tony Baldwin, Mickey Dean. Thank you to all those SIDs at Georgia, Tennessee, Auburn for getting those interviews done and helping us out with that. And now we look forward to day two, dropping December 2nd. It's a packed day with the addition of Memphis as our bonus team. We've got two four-team days. This is the first with Kentucky, Arkansas, South Carolina, and Missouri. A little bit of an eclectic quartet. You've got Kentucky, the enigma. The jokes will come and they will come fast and frequently Mm. when we do that you've got arkansas the reigning sec champs who actually lose a ton of people you've got south carolina the team that did not make the ncaa tournament last year and is just looking for answers at this point and then a missouri squad that was truly all over the map last year were they bad were they good now they're good wait they lost in regionals right it was you know these are four interesting teams to have on day two what and who will these teams be (laughs) Is the big question. It's begun now. Right. <laughs> so those four. And like, yeah, I, these four teams, a very mixed bag, four different, real different personalities coaching wise mm-hmm. as well. And I think the teams kind of re- reflect that. So it's going to be a lot of fun hearing from all four of these coaches. Yeah. So that will be in the next episode dropping Friday, December 2nd, Kentucky, Arkansas, South Carolina, and Missouri. Of course, make sure that you follow the podcast at Otherbox underscore pod. Tom, mm. if the people want to find you on the socials, mm. where do they look? T Canterbury RTR on the Twitter. T-C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y-R-T-R talking all things Alabama, including the Alabama soccer team in the final four. Yes, that's happening. That's right. By the time we get to Alabama on media right. days, we'll know everything. We'll know everything. Hopefully but... they will have hoisted a championship. Yes. <laughs> By the time we record that episode, right. we'll then <laughs> Oh man, this is truly a time capsule. It is. The Box Podcast. <laughs> also, we would be remiss. You'll be tweeting, of course, about Auburn's, you know, new hire mm. as a football coach as well. 
I have thoughts. Yes, this I, is I know the day. I know that'll shock you, but yes, I have opinions. I mean, if you want to include that in the mailbag, tweet us at sure. box underscore pod, and I'll ask Tom if one of you ask it. But mm. that might be another podcast. Cadillac put up on blocks in, in the yard. <laughs> I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Again, like, subscribe, five stars, do all that fun stuff. That wraps up day one of 2022 Softball Media Days. We are just getting started. Day two with Kentucky, Arkansas, South Carolina, and Missouri will drop on Friday, December 2nd. And we certainly hope you will continue along with us as we travel through the SEC ahead of the 2023 college softball season. Until then, for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.